invite you to join with me in praying. Well, Lord, as you've commanded us, I pray that you, the Lord of the harvest, would send out laborers into your harvest field. And I also ask, Lord, that here, that you would make us into laborers for that harvest. And I ask as the preacher this morning that your spirit would come and help me and that I'd be clear and that it would be inspiring to your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There are many religions in the world, and it's interesting to compare them because there are some things about Christianity that are absolutely unique. One of those things that I particularly like is the fact that almost every world religion is about man aspiring upward or even striving to earn the favor of whatever the God of that religion is. Christianity is different in that our God came down into the midst of our darkness and brokenness and saved us when we couldn't save ourselves. It's a different direction than most religions. They're up, pointing up, our God comes down. But there's something else that's unique about Christianity, and I think our passage today from Acts chapter 1, verse 1, helps us see it. Uh, John Stott, the Anglican scholar, summarized it well when he wrote his commentary on the work of Luke, who wrote this. Luke, by the way, wrote the Gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts and saw it as a two-volume work. So he starts off and he talks about what he dealt with in his prior volume. And John Stott says this, Luke's first two verses in Acts are extremely significant. It's no exaggeration to say that they set Christianity apart from all other religions. These other religions regard their founder as having completed his ministry during his lifetime. Luke says, Jesus only began his Christianity has a God who is still working, still on the move. The opening verse says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I, Luke, dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. I put a red box around the word began in my Bible there. He began to do and teach in volume one, and then he continues in this second volume. I mean, at the Great Commission of Matthew 28, Verse 20, he says, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age, and then not long after, ascended to the Father. Well, if he's with us, what's he doing? That's kind of the question we have to, we have to think about. A better title for the book of Acts, it's been historically referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, but that seems to neglect the work of the Spirit, who was one step ahead of the Apostles. But to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit misses the fact that the Apostles are very heavily involved as well. And so one cumbersome title could be The Continuing Words and Deeds of Jesus by His Spirit through the Apostles. But that's too long to put on the top of the Bible, so we're just going to leave it as it is. But just know that's what we mean when we say the, act, the book of Acts. But my point this morning is that Jesus is at work, presently. Jesus is presently at work. And I wonder, do you think of Christianity more as a historic faith, or is it something that's happening. Is the Bible, is this book living and active, as it says in Hebrews 4, or is it just another inanimate object? Is it a dead book, or is it a living book? Does God speak through it? Beware of past tense religion. Beware of a stale faith about what God did back there way long ago, instead of what he is, he is doing right now. One of our core values as a church is that, that we we teach and model and talk a lot about a personal walk with the living God. We have two little footprints on our, 
our vision document showing that we're walking this life with the Lord. It's a metaphor that is used in the New Testament, a walk with the Lord. Jesus is present in our lives, and I wonder, where have you seen him lately? If you're reading about news of happenings in Christianity, there's a huge revival breaking out in the chapel at Asbury uh, College and Seminary. That's awesome for the people that go to that school and live in Kentucky, but what's God doing here in Fleming Island or in Orange Park or in Green Cove or wherever you live in Jacksonville? You don't have to drive to Kentucky. What is God doing here? Now, um, it's one thing to say Jesus is still at work. It's another thing, and it's fair to say Jesus' work is complete. In fact, he said that. It is finished, he declared, when he was hanging on the cross right before he died. His earthly work was completed there. He died for our sins, made atonement. He finished his earthly mission. And therefore, you can say past tense, his work is done. It has been completed. In fact, I think I've told you this before. My, one of my Greek professors um, who knows the liturgy well, an Anglican priest, said when we say in, in the so-called fraction, Alleluia, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us, that is carries a lot of weight, and it's not quite accurate. It's more, it should be more in the perfect tense. If you know your grammar, perfect tense is a distinct action that happened in the past but has carrying effects going forward. It's not like done and over with, glad we put that behind us. He says what we should say, and again, as cumbersome as that other title for the book of Acts is, Alleluia, Christ our Passover is in the ongoing state of having been crucified. Right? It's... And when we break bread at the Lord's table, we're participating in something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's still having an effect. The ripples carry forth. The action was distinct and completed, but the, the effect of it goes forward. And so, in a sense, Christ's work is completed. It's done, and yet he is very much at work. In the first volume, Luke said what he began to do and teach. And in this volume, Acts, volume 2, it's what he continues to do by his spirit and through his apostles and then through us as we share what the apostles have taught in the New Testament. So part of the complete work in verse three, he says, Jesus presented himself alive to the apostles after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So for 40 days, a resurrected, a bodily, physically resurrected Jesus who had died on the cross, spent two nights in the tomb, on the third day rose, for 40 days, by many proofs, showed he is alive. The resurrection happened. He defeated death. It couldn't hold him down. And then in, in, we stopped at verse 8, but if you read verse 9, it says, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. That is a distinct historical action as well. So he died on a cross. He rose on the third day. 40 days, he demonstrated it physically. We don't really know what exactly he did in that time. You know, I, I always think I want to go to Pilate and say, I told you so, but that's me and I'm not the savior. But he did reveal himself to, at, at one point, 500 people all at the same time. Then he ascended to the Father and we haven't physically, visibly seen him since then, but he's very much been at work. As he said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. He's been working ever since. So why this text today? Why? Why, why are we reading Acts 1 today? What's, what's this focus? How does this fit? Well, we're in a sermon series, and, and it's been an epiphany, but this particularly is our mission Sunday. But all of epiphany is about the gospel going out to the ends of the earth. Again, typified in the Magi of the East who came to worship 
the newborn king of Israel in Bethlehem. And so this whole season from then until now is really focused on Christ's mission for the whole world. So it fits in this season to do this. And the question I ask is, how do we give witness? How do we give witness? Well, for one thing, we've got to be clear about the power source. In verses 4 and 5, he says, it says, while he was staying with them, actually, it's interesting, the footnote says it could mean eating with them, like he was having meals with them while he was staying and eating with with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Then he actually quotes John the Baptist, who said, I'm baptizing you with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus there quotes it. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he actually gives them a a timeline. Just stay in Jerusalem. It's coming. Just not many days from now. Just wait. And then you'll have this, you'll have what you need to be this kind of witness. So we need the clarity of our power source. You can't do this in your own strength. You have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why that title of the book of Acts works. It's what Jesus continues to do and teach through the power of his Holy Spirit through his apostles and then the church beyond them. So you need to be clear clear about the power source and willing to wait for it. Um, The saying is true that we shouldn't talk to people or talk to God about people, excuse me, we shouldn't talk to people about God until we first talk to God about people. Right, So we want to sit with the Lord and ask him for a heart for the lost. We want to pray for those that don't yet know him and then, and then go and ask for an opportunity, even in the moment, a divine appointment to share our faith and encourage other people to consider. We also need clarity of our theology. This question that the um, apostles share really reveals their ignorance even after three years of being with Jesus. In verse, what is it, verse um, 6, So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I was reading a bunch of commentaries on this, and John Calvin, the reformer, pretty directly said that there are more errors in this sentence than there are words. (laughs) And then he spends several paragraphs explaining all those errors. But first of all, they're asking, are you going to restore? Restore means to, in the English as well as in the Greek, means to put back what was in place before as if this is a a kind of a retroactive mission. We just want to fix Israel. Back to the time, let's say, when King David or Solomon ruled and it had lots of power and resources and didn't have outward oppression. It's it's far more of a limited territorial view of Jesus's mission. That's obviously not right. And then, are you going to restore to Israel? It's nationalistic to one nation. And then at this time, it's immediate. We want immediate gratification. Right now, Lord, three years of walking with you is enough. Bring it now. And none of these three things were right. It wasn't geographically limited. It was to the ends of the earth. And that's what the Great Commission said. In Matthew's gospel, the last commandment of Jesus is to take the gospel to all the nations, to the ends of the earth. In fact, even in his answer here, he talks about this in verse 8, which I'll come to in a second. But It's not just national, it's all nations, all people. And it's not going to be, we now have the perspective to know it's not going to be at this time. It's been 2,000 years and waiting, and it's partially happening. It's already coming, but it's not fully yet there. There's a lot of work to be done. Now, Jesus gives a response in verse 8, which frankly is the verse that made me want to go to this text for this Sunday of missions. It's really worth memorizing this, because 
after they asked that, that uh, theologically ill-advised question, Jesus replies and said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There's a word authority. And then there's, in the next sentence, there's power. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem, and then Judea, the region, the southern kingdom, and then Samaria, part of the northern kingdom, but like not quite Jewish, but sort of Jewish, and then to the ends of the earth. You're really going to go to the ends of the globe with this message. Jesus is at work, and what is he doing? He's bringing good news to all people, and he's doing it through the witness of people that know him. So it's a global thing. Back in 1974 in Manila, there was the first Lausanne um, Conference on World Mission, and Billy Graham, who had traveled the world a lot and done all these um, evangelistic campaigns, tried to get the church to come together with a heart for the globe. And the mantra of that thing was, the whole church bringing the whole gospel to the whole world. And they had a second conference, that was back in 1974. In 1989, they had another conference there. And at that time, I don't know who did it, but somebody did some quick math, and the engineer in me liked what he was, how he was thinking. But he reasoned that there were, at that time, 5.4 billion people on the planet. We're up over eight now, by the way. But in 1989, it was only 5.4 billion people. And apparently about a third of them had some affiliation or claimed to be Christian. So he cut that, that number, 5.4, in a third. And then he said probably maybe only a tenth of those people actually are Christians and know the Lord. So he cut that number down, and he had 180 million. They also, at that time, estimated that there were 12,000 people groups on the globe that had not been reached by the gospel. There was no church in their language or culture. When you do the math, that means there are 15,000 believers per unreached people group. And he reasoned, if we could get our stuff together, we ought to be able to send resources and people to go learn that culture and to bring the gospel to each one. And that's 15,000 Christians per unreached people group. It looks great on paper <laughs> and from the top view, but we're not all coordinated. We're not in unity. We're not organized around this stuff, but it shows you the ministry. And what's interesting is now with GPS, we can literally pinpoint a square foot of every part of this globe. We know exactly where everything is. But people are far more, they're moving, they're fluid. And so there are people groups that are being reached with the gospel, while at the same time there are people groups in the next generation losing it, America being one of them, where this is now the largest English-speaking mission field in the world. It is not uncommon for you and I to run into people who have never heard of Jesus, at least have not been told the gospel. They know the name, mostly as an expletive, or maybe a historical figure, but they don't know the gospel. They're not baptized. No one has ever shared the gospel with them. These are the people living on your street. Like, this is America now. And so we need to keep taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, but we also need to be witnesses right here in our own streets, even in our own houses. So the, the, the thing about this is some are senders, some are goers, but all have to be witnesses. So you can't think, well, that's for the evangelists and missionaries and and I'll, I'll just say prayers and send money or whatever. No, no, we're called to witness at home, and some are even called to go and be sent. So the thing is, you can't give what you don't have. And the word is witness. What is a witness? It's someone who can give a testimony. I've seen and experienced this thing, and let me tell you about it. 
What I love about witnessing, by the way, is no one can say you're wrong because it's 100% subjective. If you have an experience of the living God, Jesus, who is at work, and you tell someone, they can't say that's not true. I mean, that's your experience, right? So you just simply give witness to what you're experiencing. If you're not experiencing anything, well, now, now we're at a discipleship issue. I want to encourage you as your pastor to push in further and ask more. Lord, where are you at work? Why can't I see you? Are you doing anything in this world? It's okay to ask him. Go to him. Don't stop. He has more for you. Keep asking him so that you then have something that you can share as a witness to those that don't yet know. There's a quote in um, Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, that he he puts at the beginning of one of his chapters, a pull-out quote. It's um, from a a French philosopher, uh, Simone Weil, in a book called Waiting for God. And she, she was an intellectual around the time of, her, her father was in World War I to give you the, the, the time. And she was a pretty um, outspoken atheist and questioning the validity of religion and all that sort of stuff. And she says this, in 1938, I was suffering from splitting headaches. Each sound hurt me like a blow. I discovered the poem called Love by George Herbert, which I learned by heart often at the culminating point of a violent headache, I made myself say it over and over, concentrating all my attention upon it and clinging with all my soul to the tenderness it enshrines. I used to think it was merely a recitation of a beautiful poem, but without my knowing it, the recitation had the virtue of a prayer. It was during one of these recitations that Christ himself came down and took possession of me. In my arguments about the insolubility of the problem of God, I had never foreseen the possibility of that, a real contact, person to person, here below, between a human being and God. That is a testimony of an experience of the living God. Do you have any of those? Do you have any run-ins with the Lord? Has he done anything? I was playing tennis with a friend of mine who is not a believer, and I just wanted to tell him something God had done recently in my life. I was on an Anglican Leadership Initiative sailboat. I was on a sailboat with 12 clergy working through a leadership course. Some of you know about it because I shared it in a prayer request. And on the Sunday morning, we put all the guys on this little island. They're praying and fasting. They're um, seeking the Lord. They're processing all that we've said. And I was sitting back on the boat praying and fasting and waiting for the Lord. And I was, I was writing my journal saying, Lord, what would you like me to pray for this morning? And my mind naturally goes to missions, our church, leadership, these Anglican clergy, all that kind of stuff. And, and I look behind me, and a boat pulls up and drops an anchor. And then about five minutes later, another one does. And for, out of the corner of my eye, I caught what I thought was the name of the one boat. And I grabbed the binoculars, and I looked. And the first boat that pulled up, the name on it was My Ellie. And then I looked over, and the other one was called Oh Hannah. If you don't know, my daughter's names are Hannah and Ellie. And I was like, okay, uh, thanks, Lord. I'll pray for my family this morning instead of Anglican leadership stuff. Now, is that a coincidence? You work out the odds of what the chances of that being an accident are. And I texted, uh, I took a picture of it, and I, and I texted it to my family. I said, hey, I asked the Lord what to pray for. Zoom in on these boats and see what the names are. And my wife replies and says, sometimes with you the Lord is subtle. Other times he needs to be blunt. So... That is a little unusual, right? My answers, my prayers don't get that immediate, usually that immediate of an answer or that explicit. But I'm just telling you, 
the Lord is alive. Jesus is working still. So I want to encourage you to ask him to show you where he's working so you can join him in that work and be part of the kingdom stuff so that you will have an actual witness of something you've seen him do so you can tell other people about him. Jesus is working. I also will say on Mission Sunday, start supporting our global missionaries and our church planters. Press into them and ask for testimonies because if you're bold enough to be a global missionary or a church planter, you're on your knees every day begging for God to help you. You don't have the strength of a community of faith and a solid budget and, and uh, prayerful uh, church supporting you. You're, you're out on a limb, so to speak. And so those guys, those men and women are praying like crazy for the Lord and they have testimonies of stuff. This kind of thing happens all the time in their ministry. So support a missionary and then ask a missionary what God's doing in that work. You might get pulled into that work too. But I'm telling you, Jesus is at work. He's just begun to do and teach things in Luke's gospel. And in the book of Acts, it continues forward. It's weird that Acts 28 just ends with no conclusion. It's left hanging. Go to the last chapter of Acts and read it and and ask yourself, why would they stop this book right here? Reflect on that for a little bit. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful that you are at work, and I thank you for these testimonies. Lord, I pray for each person in here that we would see your hand at work this week. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts to receive you. Give us boldness, Lord, to give testimony of what you are doing. And I pray that many people, I pray that all people would hear the gospel and come to faith in you. And I do lift up our missionaries and ask that you'd bless them this day. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.